Well, let's just start off with a joke and lighten the mood a little bit. I don't know if you need it. This one's for Vanessa. I think she's already left, and also for Leanne. You're choosing to hurt your <laughs> As a guitarist, I play many gigs. Recently, I was asked by a funeral director to play, play at a grave. There were only diggers and crew left, and they were all eating lunch. I felt bad, and I apologized to the men for being late. I went to the side of the grave and... ...lunches and began to gather around. I played out my heart and soul for this man with no family and no friends. I played like I've ne never played... I wept, we all wept together. When I finished, I packed up my guitar and started for my car. Though my head <laughs> All right, we're in a series about getting the most difficult one. It's the easiest one because everybody knows it and it doesn't really require any setup. You've already heard a sermon on the prodigal son. In fact, I bet some people said, I'm not going to church, I've read this story before. If you're a Christian, That's why I asked the worship team to do that song, Homecoming. This is a homecoming. The Father is welcoming. This is a homecoming. And if you're not a Christian, or maybe you've gotten a little bored with your faith, today is the day for you to have an encounter with the living God. The Lord came to me supernaturally. I'm going to share that in a little while. But today is the day. So before we begin, will you bow your heads with me and pray? Dear Jesus, please help. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.
He's a king of Israel. He's a king of righteousness. He's a king of the ages. He's a king of heaven. He's a king of glory. He's a king of kings. And he's the Lord of lords. That's my king. I wonder do you know him. My king is a sovereign king. No means of measure can define his limitless love. He's enduringly strong. He's entirely sincere. He's eternally steadfast. He's immortally graceful. He's imperially powerful. He's impartially merciful. Do you know him? He's the greatest phenomenon that has ever crossed the horizon of this world. He's God's son. He's a sinner's savior. He's the centerpiece of civilization. He's unparalleled. He's unprecedented. He is the loftiest idea in literature. He's the highest personality in philosophy. He's the fundamental doctrine of true theology. He's the only one qualified to be an all-sufficient savior. I wonder if you know him today. He supplies strength for the weak. He's available for the tempted and the tried. He sympathizes and he saves. He strengthens and sustains. He guards and he guides. He heals the sick. He cleanses the lepers. He forgives sinners. He discharges debtors. He delivers the captives. He defends the feeble. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. He regards the age. He rewards the diligent. And he beautifies the meek. I wonder if you know him. He's a key to knowledge. He's a wellspring of wisdom. He's a doorway of deliverance. He's a pathway of peace. He's a roadway of righteousness. He's a highway of holiness. He's a gateway of glory. Do you know him? Well, his life is matchless. His goodness is limitless. His mercy is everlasting. His love never changes. His word is enough. His grace is sufficient. His reign is righteous. And his yoke is easy. And his burden is light. I wish I could describe him to you. He's indescribable. He's incomprehensible. He's invincible. He's irresistible. Well, you can't get him out of your mind. You can't, you can't get him off of your head. You can't outlive him, and you can't live without him. Well, the Pharisees couldn't stand him, but they found out they couldn't stop him. Pilate couldn't find any fault in him. Herod couldn't kill him. Death couldn't handle him, and the grave couldn't hold him. Yeah! You don't have to stand up. It's going to take me a while to get there. Have you ever heard, um, or perhaps you even said the phrase, I'm just a sinner saved by grace? Have you heard that? Romans chapter 6, verse 8 says, So you must consider yourselves dead to sin. I'm just a sinner saved by grace. It's theologically wrong. Because Romans 6 teaches us that we are dead to sin. If you believe you're a sinner, you will sin by faith. 
In the Garden of Eden, did you ever wonder why there were two trees? The tree of life and the tree of knowledge. It's because God values your personal choice. He values your free will. He values your heart. And he will never force himself onto you. You have a choice. And we have to position our heart where we value our relationship with him more than our own personal desires. You know, it's impossible for God to lie. Not, not because he's, he doesn't know how. But because if, if God says something that previously wasn't true, his words make it true. In other words, if, if God said the sky is purple, the sky would turn purple. His words make it true. Conversely, if he says something in which you personally disagree, your thoughts on the subject are of no consequence. God is God. We are his creation. What he says is absolute truth. Faithfulness is developed in the dark. It's, it's, it's one trick that's developed in the dark. It's developed when nobody's looking. You take on a trait by replacing Christ with what took over his lordship. David said in Psalm chapter 51, verse 10, he said, Create in me a clean heart. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Now, it's important to understand that when he wrote that, he did it after a major moral failure in which he had an affair with a married woman, had that woman's husband murdered, had a baby with her, took her as his own wife. This is David, a man after God's own heart. It's all in the Bible. Read it. It's interesting. Interesting story. All in the Bible. Never say the Bible is boring. I mean, just like the first 10 chapters in your life, this is like... But when something is in the Bible, even something that's crazy, like a man after God's own heart murdering his key soldier, it's not that God is endorsing that. It's that God is truthfully telling you what happened. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That's what Galatians teaches us. It goes on to say in verse 24, and those who belong to Jesus have crucified, crucified, just try to try that again. Those who belong to Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. When you choose anything other than Jesus' lordship over your life, you're actually saying that you know better than the Creator. You know, we all play armchair quarterback over everything in our life. And you know what that is? It's pride. 
And if you don't let the Lord arrest your heart, if you repeatedly put your desires, your feelings, your wants above choosing a life of total holiness, eventually you're saying, not your will, God, but my will be done. I know you said this, but I. And you created a God in your own image. There's a, a popular church growth movement that started in the 1970s called the Attractional Church. The idea was pretty simple. If you could get excited, people excited to come to church, if you could attract them to church, then they would be exposed to the gospel. And out of that exposure, perhaps people would cross the line of faith. Perhaps people would accept Jesus. And the model worked. People were exchanging their parents' and grandparents' stuffy church experience for the hip, fun, and exciting church. They had better music, less churchy language, and more exciting things going on. And by the 1980s, more and more churches had adopted this strategy. And by the 1990s, the majority of churches had become seeker-sensitive. This led to massive church growth and the advent of the modern megachurch. But it wasn't without problems. The difficulty arose when suddenly faced with the challenge of discipling thousands upon thousands of people. And very often people would trust Jesus with, with the initial prayer. They would pray the prayer of salvation, but they weren't trained in the lifestyle of Christianity or the connection to God and how to acquire that connection to God or given the importance of what it means to follow Christ. And so when life arose, they had to develop the faith to stick with Christ. And I think that's some of the problems that we're seeing even amongst Christians today, yeah. particularly you see it on social media. Now, I'm not dogging attractional churches. I was a part of one for over 10 years. But now we have a culture in which people are overstimulated, overengaged, and overentertained. We have TikTok. We have Facebook and Instagram and YouTube. We can stream thousands of TV shows just because we tell our robot TV to do so. Yeah. And there's this growing hunger within the soul of mankind, a hunger for encounter, not for entertainment. The gospel is really simple. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and not of your own doing. It is the gift of God. Yes, Acts chapter 16, verse 31 says, Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. The gospel is simple. Jesus died to set you free. That's the key phrase, set you free. We say it a lot, but what does it really mean? We're quite good at telling people what they've been set free from. They've been set free from paying the price of their own sins in hell. Oftentimes we struggle, though, telling people what they've been set free to. Christ did not just set you free from hell. He set you free from sin. He died for your oneness 
in him. You were free and responsible to live a life of holiness. Peter, quoting Leviticus, says, Be ye holy, as I am holy. Alan and Michelle texted me one Saturday morning. They were going to house, just like seven minutes from my house. So I joined them, and I typed in the address into my GPS. <coughs> when we left the, the neighborhood, it was different, because I didn't use the GPS. I knew the direction I needed to go, but the road didn't just go in a straight line. And so I ended up kind of driving all around the neighborhood before I finally found the exit to get to the road I needed to go. When I went in, I followed the GPS. When I left, I followed my own path, and a lot of us do that in life. And the GPS of your life is God and His Word. And when you're following a lifestyle of holiness, when you're following, when you're pursuing this God who tells you one way, whether you agree about it or not, when you're pursuing Him, that is your GPS. And when you forsake that, you start having issues in your life. All right, Luke chapter 15, verse 11. And he said, there was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of your property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything in Las Vegas, <laughs> a severe famine arose in the country. Did we just lose me? It's not me, it's you. <laughs> I'll talk louder. Oh, there we are. There we aren't. <laughs> and we need to spend everything. A severe famine arose in the country. Should I get the handheld? No, they says. So he went and hired himself out to the citizens of that country who sent him into the, the fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs gave But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But here I perish with hunger. I will arise. I will go to my father. And I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven. And I have said before you, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servant, bring quickly the best robe. Put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field and he came and drew near to the house. He heard music and dancing and called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come. Your father has killed the fatted calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. 
His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I have never disobeyed your command. Yet you never even gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. I don't know, maybe a goat was like, you know, a new car. Maybe that's how we could compare it. That I might celebrate with my friends. Verse 30. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. And he said to him, son, you were always with me. And all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. I came to faith in Jesus in 1987 at the age of seven at Dillon Baptist Church in Dillon, Montana. And it came to Christ because I was scared of going to hell. Anybody else come into the kingdom because of fear? <laughs> now you say at the age of seven, were you really such a hard-hearted criminal that you should operate in such fear? But you see, I had my first same-sex encounter when I was seven years old with my best friend. Now we were seven, this was in the 80s, days before the internet, so you know, I don't really know how sexual it could have been, but it started this pattern in my life where I had had a same-sex encounter with two other friends before I even graduated high school. When I was 17 years old, three days shy of my 18th birthday, I moved to Las Vegas. And coming to terms with the fact that I wasn't like the other boys and desperately trying to escape that, I began a vigorous search for a church. I went to a big Baptist church, but the people were, people were too old. They were like 30. <laughs> <laughs> when you're 18, everybody is old. <laughs> then I went to a vineyard church, but it was really tiny, and I felt like I was immediately spotlighted. So I was talking with my friend from work, and she invited me to her church, and I loved it immediately. They had an average weekend attendance that was bigger than the town in which I grew up. And my friend said, you know, if you liked it this weekend, you should really come next week. And our senior pastor's going to be back from vacation. You're going to love him. And uh, I said, okay, I agree. We'll go. Uh, but we're going to be on time because I don't want to miss the meeting. I've never seen anything like that before. So we went back the next weekend, and I was immediately hooked. It was here at this that church that I first made the connection that God was saving me more from my, more than just from my sins, but that He actually wanted to have a connection with me, a relationship with me. I knew it on paper; I read it in the book, but I didn't know it. You know, you have to know it. Now, I'm really not the type of person to just come to a church and watch everybody else participate, so it didn't take me long to get plugged in. Before I knew it, I was leading a high school youth group, volunteering in the bookstore, volunteering in the coffee shop, volunteering on the production team. We had three weekend services, and I was involved in every single one of them. Every time the doors were open, I was there. I was at every picnic, every class, 
every Bible study, if the doors were open, if the church was open, I was there. But I know now that I was so performance-driven because I reasoned if I outperformed everybody else, God will take a pity on me and he will take away my same-sex attraction. He did not. And soon enough, I was dating a guy on the fire department. I lost connection with God's people. I began focusing on my career, and I stopped attending church altogether. So God sends a family from Phoenix, and I begin working for the lady. And I find out that her husband was a pastor, which I was not particularly thrilled about. <laughs> it was Alan and Michelle. <laughs> But soon enough, I saw the hope that was in them, that they had something that I didn't have, that I wanted. So I began attending church with them. And since it was so successful, the first time I found myself completely immersed in church culture again, and I served in the bookstore where I was later on staff, on the production team, I even was in the choir and I'm tone deaf. <laughs> And Alan had to teach me how to do a gospel clap because I had never heard gospel music before. This was the time of my first suicide attempt with a bottle of pills that was thwarted by my roommate who caught me before I could even swallow a pill. I remember walking out of church one time and telling Michelle, I just want a reason to raise my hand. I was desperate for a supernatural encounter with the supernatural God. Well, eventually, I went back to my old church, this time on staff, determined to repent, determined to, sh to shed same-sex attraction. I was determined to get the victory over this. And I saw a Christian counselor whose only tool in the toolbox was to just not look. He later had a moral failure, divorced his wife, and moved to California with his same-sex partner. And I thought, oh my God, there's no hope. This is when I had my second suicide attempt, this time with a firearm. Once again, thwarted by my roommate. It was like that old buckaroo bonsai, like, oh, wherever you go, there you are. I could not escape myself. And while on staff at that church, I was a staff writer for doing a, a weekly email newsletter publication, which at the time was a pretty new concept as organizations were shedding print, trying to get out of print and into the evening world. Like in those days, you didn't get so much spam email. <laughs> and so I subscribed to several different church newsletters as part of my job just to see the types of things that they were writing what they were doing and trying to get ideas. And one of those publications I subscribed to was from Christ Church of the Valley in Peoria, Arizona. And they published an article about Cheryl Swopes, who was a WNBA player, who after an abusive relationship with her husband, divorced him and moved in with her same-sex partner. The article ended with, so Cheryl Swopes confirmed, confirmed what Christians have been saying all along. Being gay is a choice. And I was pissed. Two suicide attempts, pursuing God, a counselor, 
and they just want to wash their hands of it. And so I emailed them, and I told them how evil of a message that was, that they published a message of hatred and division that probably ran more people away from God and towards him. Now, I still believe every word that I wrote in that email was correct, but there was a problem. I wrote it from my church email. And they sent it back to my boss, who reasoned that I personally had acted as a spokesperson, a representative, speaking on behalf of a 12,000 member church. And they fired me. Fired from a church that I had spent a better part of a decade. Actually, Alan went to that meeting with me. And I will never forget leaving the church that day. I remember I flung the doors open and I told God, how is it that I can get more love and more acceptance at a bar than at a church? And then I told him, I will never pursue you. I will never befriend another Christian. I will never serve in another church for the rest of my life. I'm done with you. And I'm done with your crazy people. And I didn't. In fact, six months later, we moved to Texas. And every time I would go back to Vegas, I would pass that church on the freeway and I would give them the one finger salute. <laughs> hey, I'm, I'm authentic. With me, you, you get what it is. <laughs> Meanwhile, in Texas, Alan starts the process of becoming senior pastor of this church which is another long story that's not even mine to tell. I just remember some drama over some group, small group book that they were doing, and people were all up in arms about making cookies for the UPS guy or some stupid thing like that. And I said, see, Christians are lunatics. <laughs> and when he came on as pastor, I was asked what role I wanted, and I said, nothing. I don't want to teach. I don't want to make coffee. I don't want to sell sermons and books. I don't even want to come. And I rarely did. Just special holidays. In fact, there was a time I could tell you how many ceiling titles this room had. And in those days, they were white, so you could actually see them and just all went together. Now, remember when I told you what my heart had been craving, what I had been longing for was a supernatural experience? One Mother's Day, seven years into my running away story. I came here not so much for church, certainly not to encounter God. If I'm honest, it was because I knew we'd be going out to lunch afterward because of Mother's Day. <laughs> and sitting in that chair in the second row over there in that section, at the end of the final song, I heard the Lord say to me, I still love you. I still love you. Four words. Four words that changed everything. Four words that broke the chains of bitterness and anger. Four words that erased years of pain and anguish. I still love you. The Lord came to me supernaturally. 
You want to know why I'm pushing up hard for you to have supernatural encounters? It's because that's my part of the story. That supernatural encounter brought me back into the kingdom. The embrace of a loving father. What happened next was they were having an altar call, and uh, Lawrence was up here, and one of our other former elders, which was a guy named Robert, they were all up here. And it was like that scene in the airplane when Weston just was fighting off the very Christian. Because I was trying to get to Alan. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to tell him what happened. <laughs> and when I did, I have expected some condescending comment like, see, you should have already known that God still, still loves you. But that's not what happened. No, instead, I was met with the Father's embrace and the celebration and the fact that Kathy was killed later after personal downing brain. <laughs> I can get the worship team up here. <clears throat> that was nine years ago. Since then, I've graduated from Bible College. I've graduated from the first year of Bethel uh, School of Ministry. I'm currently in the middle of my second year program. If you think in like the culture thinks that the act of homosexuality is not a sin in God's eyes. It's another struggle for another day. Somebody else will teach that, or maybe not will as asked. But I actually encourage you to get this book. It's called Gay Awareness. It's by a pastor named Landon Shop, pastor of a church up in Fort Worth. There are literally dozens of verses in the Old Testament and the New that speak specifically on this subject. It doesn't matter what we think, it says. It just matters if we choose to obey. Yeah. Yeah. You can also go to changemovement.com and read testimonies of people who've left the lifestyle. It's critical that if we're going to follow God, we follow Him even when we don't want to. Even when we disagree with what His Word says. Even when the Bible says stuff that we don't like. Whether or not you agree is of no concern to God. Jesus said, take up your cross and follow. It's critical that we don't recreate or rewrite a theology that fits our needs, that fits our wants. It's critical that we just trust what the Lord said. Choose this day, Joshua said. Either we believe what this book says or we don't. Now, nine years you may have surmised that I have finally got the victory over same-sex attraction. I have not. I've traveled to General Council for the Assemblies of God, where Alan prayed for me in the spirit. We was drawing a Baptist, that was a new experience. <laughs> I took a freedom course from Bethel. I flew to Israel to the Western Wall, where you can write your prayer on a piece of paper and put it in the bricks. And Jewish rabbis take all of those prayers and pray for it. I've been to the Bethel prayer room, both in Bethel, Austin, and in Reading. I've been to the Bethel healing rooms, and still, no victory. 
The question is, despite everything, will I still choose to view God as good? Will I still choose to believe that he meant what he said? Will I still choose the tree of life? Will I still choose God? Jesus said in Luke 88, when the Son of Man comes, will he find anyone who protests on Facebook? <laughs> when the Son of Man comes, will he find somebody who praises him with their lips and remains completely unchanged? No, that's not what it says, is it? He said, when the Son of Man returns, how many will find faith on the earth? He's looking for people with faith. And what about you? What about you, drug addict, porn addict, plagued with anger, plagued with judgmentalism? What about you? Will you still choose God? Are you going to let the absence of an immediate miracle, an immediate personal victory, change your revelation about who God is, who is a good and perfect and holy God? We stand up. Today is the day of homecoming. I can't remember what song they're going to do, but I know it'll be awesome because our worship day is amazing. And they're only amazing because they have a personal relationship with Jesus. For those of you, you've been like on the edge. Like you know it in your mind. You know what the Bible says in your head. Maybe it's time to move that down to your heart. So many religions, even different variants of Christianity, it's all head knowledge. And it should be head knowledge. You should have a grip of what the Word says. But it's heart knowledge first. You have to move the words of this book into your heart. So maybe it's time for you to cross that line of faith. Maybe it's time to say, you know what? I don't even understand it all, but I'm just going to trust with faith that Jesus is who he said he is. Maybe you've been running away from God like I did, and that was only one of my running away stories. Today's the day to come home. You saw that sign when you walked in the building that said, Welcome home. We want you to feel at home in this church. We really do. But really what we want is for you to feel at home in the presence of the Lord. Don't let what happens in the four walls of this building become your only encounter with God. Yes. That should be happening every single day. But it's not going to until you make a personal commitment to Jesus Christ. Today's the day. Behold, the Bible says, Behold, today is the day of salvation. Yes. This is the day that the Lord has made. Today's your day. Let's worship.